0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Genesis 39, you ready to go? My wife's ready to go. All right, Lord, do what you can with the rest of this group. (laughs) All right, Genesis 39, we're going to have fun. It says this, now Joseph had uh, been taken down to Egypt. This is right after he got pushed into a pit. And he's uh, 17 years old. And he actually got uh, sold to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. An Egyptian bought him uh, from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. Someone say with. Love this. And he was a successful man. Successful man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that everything that he did was blessed because the Lord was with him. And the Lord prospered all that he had in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then Potiphar made him overseer of all of his house, of all that he had, put it all under his authority. So it was, from that time on, that he made him overseer over his house, all that he had, and the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house, and Potiphar didn't even know what he had except the bread that he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. You ever read a verse that you're like, that's me? <laughs> well, that's good preaching all by itself right there. And it came to pass that these things that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast longing, someone say, eyes, cast longing eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Now, she's not talking about going somewhere and telling someone not the truth. Lie with me. He follows him. It's a different type of okay. We're gonna focus, but he refused and said to the master's wife, "Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. He has committed all that he has in my hand. There is no one greater in this place than I. Nor has he kept anything from me except you, because you're his wife. How then? Watch what he says. Can I do this great wickedness and sin against myself?" Sin against Potiphar, your husband. What's he say? How can I sin against? So it was that she spoke to him day by day, very important here, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do some work. None of the men were in the house, so he was left alone. And she caught him by the garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled ran outside, fled ran outside. And so it was, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called the men of the house, spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought in this Hebrew into our house to mock us. He, he was trying to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice, and it happened that when he heard me lift my voice and cry out that he left his garment with me and ran outside." So she kept his garment in her hand until her master came home. Then uh and then he spoke we'll just we'll stop right there. Is that all right? I promised you sixteen verses. Matthew chapter eight uh, five, verse eight. I'm just gonna read one verse. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. Jesus is doing the sermon on the mountain, and he talks about happy people. He says, Happy are the people that are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Happy are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. Happy, blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. But it says, it goes on in verse 8, it says, Happy or blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see, see God. Pure heart, see God. I wanna talk to you today about clean glass. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for the opportunity to be at Oceans Church. I thank you that you love Orange County, you love everyone in this room. I pray whether they're far from you or whether they're close, they would sense how much you love them, how much you value them. I pray as we look at the life of Joseph that you would speak to us, us today, thousands of years after what Joseph went through, many of us are still going through the same battles today. There's nothing new under the sun, so God, meet us where we are, speak to us, and Lord, continue to help the Lakers in Jesus' name. And somebody said amen. Amen, amen. amen. Come on, say Amen. I, uh, I, I love being married. I've been married now for 13 years. Praise the Lord. Same woman. Hello. And uh, my wife and I, we've been married 13 years. We have, three, we have two little girls. But one of my favorite parts about being married is just having someone to make laugh all the time. So one of my favorite things. My favorite person to make laugh is my wife. She has this really cute laugh. And I don't like, not only like to make her laugh, I like to make her uncomfortable. I really appreciate awkward moments. Just one of those weird people. I like awkward moments. Like when I was talking to the band behind here and I almost, I came through the curtains there. It was a close one. Um, I like awkward moments. And so I do, you know, just kind of goofy things just to make my life, my, my wife and my life, hello, <laughs> happy wife, happy life, <laughs> to make my wife laugh and uh, we'll travel together. And, and one of the, my favorite things I started doing probably around year five or six was at airports whenever she's in the bathroom. Uh, you know how airports don't—they don't have doors on the bathrooms. They just have these little, like, little turn deals, so you can't see in, but they're just open. I like to like get my mouth in a position that I can project my voice loud and just say her name very concerned. <laughs> it was a really innocent discovery, but it's one of my favorite things to do now. <clears throat> so she's in the bathroom, and I was like, Rochelle. Rachelle! <laughs> and just, you know, quiet. And usually I hear giggling, and there's other ladies in the bathroom that are like, who is this joker? But I love getting a rise out of my wife. I don't know what it is. It's her laughing. and it's just, it's just fun and just making her a little bit, you know, embarrassed. And uh, just like getting a rise out of my wife. I, you know, I, I do this thing in our, our, our bedroom that we have a headboard, and I have a way of tapping the headboard with my foot and with my fingertips, and it sounds like there's a creature in our room. And my wife's favorite thing to say, she says it all the time, she goes, Mark, what's that noise? What's that noise? So my my three-year-old, all she ever says now is, what's that noise? What's that noise? Because she hears her mom say it all the time. But I'll never forget, we were flying to, uh, I think we were flying to Oklahoma, and uh, we were going to a conference together in Oklahoma, and we were on our airplane, and it was so weird, I kept on talking to her about tornadoes, and just trying to get like these subliminal messages that we have to be on guard, because we're in this, we're in, you know, Tornado Alley. And we started looking out the window, and and I didn't really start start doing it until I realized that out the window it looked very, like, the weather looked very just turbulent and kind of, it looked overcast, like there was a twister getting ready to touch down. And so I stood up, and I went to the bathroom, and I realized that the windows behind us, I looked out of them when I was walking back, and I'm like, that is so weird. It was beautiful blue skies outside, but the window... That was uh, next to our aisle, which Rochelle was sitting in, had like dirty glass, and the glass was so like like tinted with dirt that it made everything outside look gloomy. And so I started talking about twisters and stuff. And then we got there, and she looked out the other window, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, it's like blue skies outside!" And it was crazy. And I had this thought come to me that it's amazing that it can be so nice somewhere, but if the glass is dirty, the glass is dirty. I don't know if you've ever been on a, a bug trip or a, a road trip. <laughs> Who's ever been on a road trip? And it's amazing how, how like, bugs just start flooding your windshield. I was driving on the toll road uh, about a week ago, and I literally, I drove through a, like, a family of, it was like a herd of bugs. And I've never hit so many bugs at one time. There's like, it was like a machine gun. And I just took the whole family out. And my windshield was, it was literally just baptized in, like, bug guts and I couldn't even see hardly out of the windshield because the glass was so, was so dirty. I was just thinking through this idea, and I want you to know that we're not, we're not preaching legalism, what you can and what you can't do. Ocean's Church is committed to being a good news church. And I believe the gospel is good news, so I'm not going to tell you what's wrong about sin. I'm going to tell you what's right about knowing God. And I believe this so that Joseph, one of the biggest tests this young man had to fight at 17 years of age was he experienced a small level of success. And I believe that success will test you sometimes more than failure. Success will test you more than failure sometimes. And he's a successful man as a slave, a servant in Potiphar's house. Potiphar is a general in the military. And his wife starts seeing the favor and the success that's on Joseph's life, realizes that he's good-looking, that this guy is gifted, and she starts going, I want this guy. She casts longing eyes on Joseph. So I started doing a, a little bit of a study, and this is a part of my testimony. When I was a little kid, probably seven years of age, I kind of got introduced to, to pornography and all the, all the things that most of our society is struggling with, dealing with, wrestling with today. And one of my journeys as a believer was, when I became 18, I believed in Jesus immediately God changed my vocabulary. I was, you know, I was a regular pro snowboarder that had a pretty colorful vocabulary and and had a lot of bad addictions and habits. And I'll be honest with you, the moment I encountered the goodness of Jesus, he touched my mind and I lost my desire to cuss. In one moment. How many believe that God can change you in one moment? In one moment, God, it was just, it's like he removed that part of my brain. I'd slam my finger in the door, no more cuss words, start speaking in the Holy Ghost. Come on. (laughs) I'd be like, shoulda bought a Kia, you know? <laughs> what about a Hyundai, you know? But change my vernacular. It's crazy, man. And I stopped having a desire to curse. But this other battle I was going through with, with looking at imagery that's, you know, not good and and, and just demoralizing to, to women and all this stuff and perversion and lust, This I'm going through Bible college and I'm on this perpetual journey. I'm like, God, how come I'm free in other areas? But I can't seem to, to get rid of this mindset mentality in this particular setting. And it was frustrating and discouraging. Paul writes in Romans that it's, it, it described my predicament that the things I hated were the things that I practiced. And what I willed not to do was the things I kept doing. And the things that I wanted to do, I didn't practice. And he says, I see there that there's a law, that there's sin inside of my flesh, The Bible describes flesh as your fallen nature. Your default, I'm not going to bore anybody today, stay with me, nature. It means that you don't have to teach people to be greedy. You don't have to teach your kids to be selfish. Check this out, you don't teach your kids how to be bad. My kids are experts, out of the womb. They knew how to not do what's right. I had to train my kids to do what is right. Because we are born, theologians call it the Adamic nature. That because of one man's decision thousands of years ago, millions of years, however long ago it was, that all of the rest of humanity was, was bent with a default ringtone the same way that we're bent towards doing what's wrong. And so we find here that Joseph 17 and in flesh nature is your fallen nature. Jack Hayford says this powerful phrase. He says this, he goes, you can't disciple a demon and you can't cast out the flesh You can't disciple demons, and you can't cast out the flesh. Meaning this, that there are some things in us, because we live we live in a world that's not just natural. I think it's funny in the church world, because we get scared nervous when people talk about, like, the spiritual world. Because there is a bunch of, maybe, abuse or extremes. But I want you to know that if you're outside of the church, no one has a problem watching horror movies. Watching, going to psychics, being a part of mediums, and all these other things. It's only in the church that we start getting a little bit nervous. There are unseen forces at work. We live in a realm that's natural, but it's also spiritual. You are a three-part being. You live in a body, you have a soul, but you are a spirit. And the spirit is the part that lives forever. And I'm telling you right now that there are spirits in the world, I'm not trying to get freaky or weird, but I'm just letting you know that there are certain things that you can't just counsel out. I believe there's certain problems in the humanity that have to take you have to take the authority that's found in the name of Jesus Christ and actually kick that thing out of your mind, out of your heart, out of your family. And there are other things that we do counsel out. So here we find Joseph 17, and he has this big, big challenging temptation that he's, this is, this is wild, he knows nobody, none of his family's there, none of his friends are there. He has zero accountability. And the crazy part of the story is, is this woman comes to him. She's probably good looking because she's married to a high-ranking official. And she's saying, look, only people got to know about this is me and you. And I believe the only reason that Joseph went on to become who he became is because the decision he made when he was 17, 18, 19 years old in the household of this guy. And his attitude was this, is is he he basically said it this way, purity will always affect more than just me. I want you to write that down today. Your personal purity will always affect more than just you. It will affect your children. It will affect your marriage. It will affect your uh, your family dynamic. But guess what? Even more than all of those things, you know what purity affects? It affects your relationship with God. Your relationship with God. Now, before you check out, I believe the two hardest appetites in life to manage is your appetite, let's just say this way, the two hardest things to manage in life is money and your sexuality. Those are the two hardest things in life to manage well, is your sexuality and your money. Those are the two, two, number one reasons that people get, number one reasons. (laughs) So number one reasons, guys, (laughs) Um, for divorce is money issues and sexual issues, And I believe that purity isn't just the outward expression of sexuality. I believe that purity starts long before the actions. Are you following me right now? I actually believe that we don't have a marriage problem in America today, where 50% of people get divorced. I believe we have a dating problem. And I believe that before we have a dating problem, we have a single problem. I believe long before we bring anybody else into our life, we're having, making decisions affecting who we're going to be in marriage, how we're going to be as parents, husbands, and wives while we're 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. We're opening ourselves up to these, these temptations and these vices that follow us into the rest of our life. I opened doors at 7 that I couldn't get out of my life until I was in my 20s. And many people think, well, Mark, the way that you're born is the way that you have to die. I got good news for you today. It's called the gospel. That you don't have to die with the same vices that you're born with. You were born with anger. I don't have to die angry. Depressed. I don't have to die depressed. Man, I had this this selfishness, fear, anxiety, worry. Good news. God can do anything. And he tells Nick at night in John three. Come on, sixteen. That he says this. That you. He says uh, talks about John chapter three. That you have to be born again that there's a first birth but there is a second birth it's a spiritual birth and i have a problem man with preaching sometimes in churches we say the only difference between christians and non-christians are is we're going to heaven i want you to know there is actually a major difference beyond just the fact that we're forgiven we have the spirit of the creator that will make his home inside of your heart and when he comes into your life guess what you have access to a greater power source Grace is not a band-aid that we put on our mistakes. Grace is a battery that gives us the power to overcome our vices. Are you hearing me today? And we live in a world that's just preaching these weird doctrines that, hey, I'm just forgiven. I'm just going to keep being messed up the rest of my life. I, I do believe that it's a journey. And here's the good news about grace is God loves you before you arrive. He loves you while you're under construction. And he doesn't love you because you change. He loves you, and that's what makes you change. It's the mindset with grace. And so Joseph, are you still with me today? I'm laying a lot of groundwork here. Is Joseph finds himself at 17 and says that she casts longing eyes. I believe the Bible is very clear. Matthew 6 says that the lamp of the body is the eyes. Jesus says if your lamp is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your lamp is bad, your entire being will be full of darkness. Now, I want to just interject this thought, because some people, they say, Mark, let's not talk about any of this stuff. Let's just have a good little church service and just kind of move forward. I was thinking about this last night as I was praying. I'm not sure if you've seen the movie The Shawshank Redemption. But the story is about an innocent man that basically gets out of prison. He climbs through the sewage lines to his freedom. And God gave me this picture so vividly that many people say, Mark, I would rather live in my clean cell and be a prisoner of my addictions and my vices than to face the stench of the journey I have to crawl through to get to a place with Jesus that I'm free. At Oceans Church, I want you to know that we're okay getting dirty sometimes. Because I would rather crawl through the dirty places I have to to go through with God to get to a place that I'm actually breathing free air. Can I get a real amen? If you're going to give God a hand clap, give him a good hand clap this morning. Come on, he's good. So we find Joseph here, there's, there's really things, that this is what uh, takes place in his life, is that uh, he, he finds himself in this predicament with, with Potiphar, the, with, his, with Potiphar's wife, that he says she casts longing eyes. I believe that purity begins with your eyes, and with your ears. I believe that if your eyes and your ears are, are clean, that your heart will be clean, your mind will be clean, and your words will be clean. I actually believe that it, I could take you through a little brief teaching. This is kind of a, I was going to do this later in the message, but I'm just going to do it right now. I, I didn't have to tell you that because you wouldn't have known. Here's a sequence of life that what you look at or listen to long enough will get into your brain. And what gets into your brain, what you think about long enough, will get into your heart. How do you know it gets into your heart, preacher? Because it will eventually come out of your mouth. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, why is it if you obsess over, let's just say, let's call it a new iPhone, and you look at it long enough and you're like, man, I gotta get that iPhone. It has, like, has a, a feature that my phone now doesn't have. The camera's just a little bit better, makes me look a little bit skinnier. I, uh, I gotta get this iPhone. And you think about it, you look at it, you look at it, you look at it, and then you think about it on your break at work, and then you're driving home, you're like, I get that iPhone, I get that iPhone. And then pretty soon, next thing you know, you're at the I, I, uh, Apple store. And you're buying a new phone because of what you looked at long enough. It got into your head. You started telling your friends, I think I'm going to go buy the new iPhone. Because you thought about it so long, it got into your heart. And when it came out of your heart, it came through your mouth. And James says that your life is directed by the rudder of your words. We're made in the image of God. You ever met someone It's like, my gosh, like, they say so many nasty things around you that you feel like you have to take a shower after you hang out with them. You ever hung out with someone like that before? Like, you ever met someone like the F word, like every two words? It's like, that's not an adjective, bro. Every couple words. And it's amazing to me, like, my gosh, do you have to, and it's crazy. And I'm not, I'm not condemning cussing, if, you, if that's your struggle, totally cool. But I just want you to know, usually people that have a lot of, like, like dark things coming out of their heart, it's because they're intaking a lot of dark things. Thanks. They're listening to verbal pornography. They're looking at bad things. They're watching awful things. And I love the fact that people, that, they don't believe in God. But I, I want to make my point here, and I love making this point every time I'm on this topic, is that people that cuss a lot, you'll notice they always use Jesus Christ as a cuss word. You ever notice that? Anyone that uses the F word a lot, they always say, Jesus Christ. And I love it because it proves the point. That even though they don't believe in him, they're recognizing that there's power in his name that's not in any other name. Because I have yet to meet an atheist that cusses in the name of Buddha. I have yet to meet a, an atheist that cusses in the name of Muhammad. We don't slam our finger in the doors, Muhammad! Joseph Smith! You know what we do is we say, they say Jesus Christ. You know why? Because there's power in his name that's been assigned to earth that is in no other name. No other name. It has power to kick out darkness. It has power to evict sin. I'm telling you right now that the name of Jesus is a strong tower that we can run to and become safe. We don't know what to pray. Sometimes we feel depressed or discouraged. Sometimes the only thing you got to say is his name. And I'll tell you right now that when you start looking at his name, you start getting his, his thoughts, his words into your glass. It starts flooding your mind with new thoughts. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? By the word of God. Ephesians 5 says that he washes us with water by the word of God. Do you know how God washes us every week in church? you know why you feel better when you leave here than when you came in? Because the Bible has a property about it that's like water. And water, we know this to be true, has the ability to wash us and refresh us. The Holy Spirit is referred to as water. It's one of his properties. And water refreshes and water cleans. Joseph, it says this, purity began with his eyes. Because Potiphar's wife casted longing eyes. And I love this because it says this in a, it goes on to say, uh, one third of overcoming our fallen nature. It talks about the pride of life. It talks about the lust of the flesh. But guess what? One third of our all temptation comes through the lust of the eyes. What you put before your eyes is what you'll think about. What you think about is what you'll talk about. What you talk about is what you'll entertain and do. Are you following me? It goes on to say in Proverbs uh, 27, verse 20. You can write this down. It says that hell and destruction are never full. And the eyes of man, I want you to be honest with you today. It says this. Solomon writes, are never satisfied. Do you know that if you give in to your just desires, and there's people that do it all the time that prove my point, you look at everything you want to look at whenever you want to look at it, you do as much bad stuff you want to do as much as you want to do with it, you'll never be satisfied doing it. You ever like wondered how is there such demented, like there's not just bad like perverse websites, there goes from like perverse to like this next level of wickedness how do you go from just admiring the opposite sex or something to, to like going to like these nasty, dark, recessed places? And I want you to know it's because the eyes of man can never be satisfied. I had a boss when I was growing up. He was a, he was a heating and air guy. And he had this thing he told me all the time. He'd brag about it. He says, my wife and I have an agreement that we can work up our appetites wherever we want as long as we eat at home. I was like, okay, I feel dirty, Number one. You know what his logic was? Is that you can look at whatever you want, as much as you want, as long as you're faithful to your spouse. And I want you to know that is a lie. Because what you look at long enough will begin to corrupt your soul. It'll actually start, it's like hitting bugs in your life. And it'll affect the way that you see the outside world. It'll affect the way that you see human beings. Are you following me today? And I believe that purity, it begins with your gates, which is your eyes and which is your ears. Here's the motive. Why would I want to be pure? I think Joseph teaches this very well. He says, Mark, I don't know if he says that. <laughs> he didn't say Mark. Uh, Joseph, what we know is this. he says to Potiphar's wife, <laughs> I make myself laugh sometimes. He says to Potiphar's wife, how can I sin against God? I believe that your purity, your, your integrity on the inside of who you are, it affects your relationship with God. And you're like, Mark, why would I want it, Mark? It's not going to affect anybody else. It actually says in Numbers, if I'm not trying to spook anybody, but it actually says this scary verse in Numbers that proves the point that your your temptations that you entertain in your mind, it's not just what you act on, it's the imaginations you entertain. Because it says in Numbers 14 verse 18 that God basically blesses children's children for the obedience of one generation. But it goes on to say this, this Old Testament, I know, but just go with me. It says that God visits the iniquities, the iniquities, to the third and the fourth generation. You ever notice you're in the doctor's office, they ask what runs in your family? Yeah. Alcoholism, and heart disease, diabetes, divorce. Isn't it wild that it's, it's amazing that until someone breaks the cycle, it just keeps going, one, done, 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 done. God tells us thousands of years ago in Numbers that the iniquities of the fathers, the children will inherit. Iniquity is not transgressions. Remember this. Transgression is outward sin. It's where we get the word trespass. It means to do something you're not supposed to do. Iniquity is internal. It literally means to think about doing something you're not supposed to do. God says he rewards people not for, this is Old Testament again, but disobedience on this front. It was what the fathers thought about that would run in their kids. One of my mentors said this powerful thing about talking about convictions. He said, Mark, what walks in fathers runs in sons. And I believe many of our children are way, way, way worse off than we were at their age because what we did in moderation, they're running with in excess. I want to set the bar so high in our marriage, in my family. And I'll be honest, and this is just a free bit of, bit of wisdom here. Every time I get tempted in either money or sexuality or whatever it is I'm being tempted with, you know what I'd like to do? I like to pray for my daughters because one of my greatest motivating factors was not only hurting the heart of God, but the idea that this would hurt my wife and this would affect my children one day. I think many of us are being bullied by the giants our parents never killed. And I believe that you're here because God wants you to slay the giants, whether it's divorce, substance. Are you hearing me today? God brought you here to make decisions that maybe no one in your family has ever made. I got news for you. Jesus says you can change. You don't have to follow the suit of everybody else that's been in your family line. God can start a new lineage with you. This is the God that we serve. But he says this, I'm not going to sin against God because all of these decisions of purity, sin, it's your relationship with God. It says that she harassed him day by day. I'll be honest, one of my least favorite things about purity is that you can live for God for 80 years with all of your heart, and you could give in a temptation for 30 minutes of your life. And the world that we live in, you know what we do? Is we'll only talk about the 30 minutes of your life that you didn't live for God. It breaks my heart even with pastors specifically because they carry so much weight. We, we, know, we all know pastors that, that maybe made a bad decision, fell morally. You know what we do? And I think, it's, I think the church is a little bit wrong in this category. Let me say it, they're really wrong because we're, peop- we're the only army in the world that actually wounds and kills our own wounded. Other militaries pick up their wounded people. The church, ex, they, they kick them out. They excommunicate people that raised and then fell. And I want you to know that the heart of God is to love people that are hurting. I know pastors that served God for 60 years and had one low moment. And you know what the world does? Is they brand them for the one moment that they failed. I'm not condoning low moments. Are you hearing my heart today? But I am letting you know that I believe that that's what makes... Makes purity and integrity such an important, vital thing because you could do so many things right and they do something so small that's wrong and everyone remembers this one thing. Are you tracking with me? Purity is a temptation that we have to overcome every day of our life. I heard, uh, I think it was uh, one of the football players talked about this, but I kind of tweaked it, is that purity isn't a one-time decision. It's a continual expense, and rent is due every single day. We wake up every morning and make a decision. Am I going to be integrous today? Am I going to honor God with my eyes? Am I going to honor God with my ears? Job 31 says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to lust after women. I think that we live in a day and age that we just look at anything and everything. I, I know I'm in Orange County. Is this okay? I'm, I know I'm stepping on some toes today. I always tell people I'd rather be smacked with the truth than kissed with a lie. And I'm gonna smack some people. Oh, Are you hearing me? That's the truth. Is I actually believe that many people don't realize that, that it's funny. In Orange County, we're so health conscious that we won't eat certain things gluten free, paleo, you know, like I'm this and vegan and like. We're so conscious what we put in our bodies, but with our ears. And with our eyes, we have zero, like, wait, you're saying that what I look at, what I listen to is equivalent to what I put in my body as it pertains to gluten or food? I would actually go as far to say it's actually more important. Because what you put in your body physically will affect your life on earth. But what you put into your eyes and your ears, it'll affect the climate of your perspective for eternity. Are you tracking with me? And I think that we should go on a diet with our eyes. Come on, this is good preaching I know good preaching. Preach, white boy. If I can't get a Pentecostal amen, I'll take a Baptist head nod. Give me a Presbyterian eyebrow raise. Telling you, man. God, I'm not lying to you today. I think that many of us gotta be you know what? I'm gonna guard what I put before my eyes. Because what you look at long enough, you'll think about. And you will become like what you look at long enough. Can I keep going? He says this, that sin day by day, and it says that, that she caught a hold of him when he was alone. That's why I think the church is so vital. Because we are always the most vulnerable when we're by ourselves. You know what the devil does when we're, we're having a trying season? He tries to get you to isolate yourself from everybody else. Well, People are mean to me, they don't like me, or I'm insecure, or I'm not feeling welcome. And he tries to get you to say, stay home on Sundays. You went out Saturday night, you got plastered, you know, you like made all these decisions, and the devil's like, you don't deserve to go to church today. Can I just tell you, that is stupid. Because when your house is on fire, the, the one person you should love is the fireman. The person that has the power to put the flame out. And I'm telling you right now that the devil, he'll try his best to get you in a position of compromise that you'll say, I am the only idiot that's ever made that bad decision. I'm the only dummy that ever thought about that thought. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that there is no sin that is common to mankind that that you're tempted with that the rest of humanity isn't tempted with. And it goes on to say that God will not tempt you beyond your capabilities, but with temptation it says, God will provide a way of escape. Do you know that every time you're in a tempting situation, God promises to give you a way out. And I believe the number one way that we actually stay in 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 an area of integrity is if we value living life in community. You know what accountability means? Accountability, we hate that word, right? To be accountable means this. It means to give an account for your ability. Account ability. Just learned this last week. Account Ability. You know what accountability means? It means that you give someone, you're holding someone to an account and say, you know what? I think you could be living up here. That's your ability. But you're settling for this, this awful stuff down here. Can I challenge you to actually give an account of the abilities that you really have? I think many people live well beyond the, uh, the wage that heaven has to offer us. Can I keep rolling? says this, so clean glass, I'm almost finished, the band can come up here, I'm almost done. Joseph has a dream, he's 17, he says no to her, and and he's tested in his heart, and this is crazy, can I just say this real clear too, I think it's so important to know this, that God never asks you to give up anything that won't eventually help you in the long run. I'll say it another way, all of the thou shall nots in the Bible are connected to God's desire for you to be happy. Do you know that you can't win a basketball game if there's no rules? LeBron could be on the on the court. If there's no out of bounds, anything goes, you can't win the game. A part of boundaries is love. And I'm not trying to say rules, regulations. I'm just trying to tell you this. If God is telling you not to do it, it's not because he's bored and he's trying to figure out a way to cram your style. You know, it's just, how can I harass these guys today? How can I steal some of their joy and fun? God is not in heaven trying to... to 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 cram your style he's trying to say how can I lead them in a way that when they're 40 they don't look back with 30 years of regrets I'm not lying to you I'm just telling you that if you honor God you'll regret a lot of things in life but you will never regret doing what God asks you to do I have a lot of regrets in my life but I'll be honest with you none of them are connected to obeying the voice of God and if God's asking me to give something up or, or step away from something See, I was growing up. I, I remember looking at everything, listening to everything. listening to rapper's like too short. for of you know who he is. I remember listening to all, all these different musicians, just all this nasty lyrics, watch all these awful movies, nudity, all, you know, all this stuff all the time. It was normal. I remember moving to Idaho with my mentor, Chris Wilde. He's, a youth, he's my youth pastor. I never met a human being that watched TV, and when a beer commercial came on with a girl in the bikini he would turn his eyes away from the TV. Didn't notice it at first. I'm like, dude, what's the big deal? It's a bikini, bro. I was so used to seeing things that were so worse that a bikini wasn't anything to me. And I'm like, and we'd be watching, watching a movie and there'd be like a makeout scene and he'd look away. I'm like, dude, what? And I didn't catch it at first. But after a couple weeks, I'm like, dude, and I asked him after, I was like curious. I'm like, dude, what's the big deal? It's like, Chris, why don't you, you know what I love about Chris? He never told me, hey, stop looking at that. But you know what he did? Is He set an example that made me curious. I said, Pastor Chris, why don't, you, uh, why don't you watch everything else that all the rest of us are watching? And he started teaching me that the eyes are the gateway to your soul. And if you want to see God, you got to have a pure heart. And I think so many people, they love pastors, and they love listening to great preachers and men of God. And they're like, man, it's like they almost have like this knowledge of God that I don't have. How come they see God clearer? It's not because God loves them more. It's because they have cleaner glass. It's cleaner glass. they made a decision, you know, I'm not going to put things in front of my eyes that are going to defile and and affect my relationship with Jesus. And I know you can attest to this. If you're married to a, a man and you're at the pool and he's just looking at everything that has two legs... And he's just following everyone around the pool. If you're a, hopefully, if you're a, you know, a, a woman of God, you're going to be like, hey, what are you doing? Not only should you not be doing it, you shouldn't be doing it on I'm standing right next to you. And I just think about this. God is with you all the time. And there are certain things I could do, I would do. Man, maybe I even should do because I'm part of Orange County and everyone lives this way. But I will not do because of the relationship that I'm in not only with my wife, but God is always watching me. I know I'm preaching a foreign dialect right now because we've lost integrity in America. And we look at everything with our eyes and our ears, but we, we analyze everything that goes into our stomach. I'm telling you that what goes into your heart is more important than what goes into your stomach. And I'm telling you that the Bible promises, Jesus says, blessed, happy are the pure in heart. They will see God. If you want to see God clearer... I'm telling you right now, it starts with your eyes and with your ears, and here's the good news. If you're like me, lost your virginity, made made decisions sexually, all that stuff, I got really good news for you today, you're not like out of luck. We serve a God that can actually create in you a clean heart. He can actually renew a right spirit within you. God can restore your innocence. I was 18 when I lost my virginity, I was 21 when I got married, but I'll be honest with you, when I got married to my wife, I was pure again. I didn't date any girls except my wife from when I became a believer to Rochelle. And I'll be honest with you, God restored, when I when I married Rochelle, there was an innocence and a purity that God did in my mind and my heart that I forgot, God, God restored uh, this, this innocence to me. And I believe so many of you, maybe you were young and someone abused you or something happened to you or you were exposed to dark things at a young age. I think one of the coolest days of your life is when you grow up enough to know that your parents weren't perfect. You follow me? And some of you were raised in an environment like, this is just, this is normal because they did it. I want you not everything that your parents did growing up is necessarily normal or godly. And I think that so many people in here are like, I'm just a byproduct of what I grew up in. Do you know that you can start a new environment for your family? Do you know that your kids can suck oxygen in the house that you didn't grow up in? And I'm telling you that God's desire is that you see him that's when you're happy in your heart Is this too heavy today I just feel so strong I'm a byproduct of this message I promise you I'm not selling anything to you That I don't smoke myself come on live this message it's a fight I believe that this morning as we get ready to close up if I could just throw these these points at you real quick is I believe number one if you're taking notes I believe that the pure in heart, the pure heart is the happy heart. Pure heart is a happy heart. I'm not just talking about actions, friends. I'm talking about God, would you make my heart clean? You know what the word pure comes from? Purity comes from a Greek word that literally means without mixture. It means without mixture. You know what God does when he gives us a pure heart is he 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 removes all of the, the toxins inside of our soul that make us a less pure form of what we're supposed to be. God wants to remove that. A pure heart is a happy heart. And then the second thing I want you to write down is this, is that God washes us with his words. I already mentioned this. The reason why you feel better at church, you know why we love, we feel good when we start singing these songs? You might not know this because you might not know the Bible yet, but most of the lyrics that we sing are actually Bible verses. They're theological ideas. And when you start singing the words of the Bible, you start declaring the God of the Bible. God starts washing you with his words. And some of you today, I got good news for you. You feel dirty, you feel polluted, you feel corrupt on the inside. And the, By the way, this is a condemnation free zone. So God, we're not, I don't care if you're super dark habits or you come to church every week and you feel like you're just, you're like, you're awesome. You, know, you walk on water. I don't care who you are. This is not a condemnation message. I'm just trying to let you know today that God can wash you. He wants to wash you with his words. Psalms 50 says, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. God will renew a right spirit with you as he washes you with his words. And the last thing I want you to just write down is this, is God's desire for you is not only to be forgiven, God's desire is for you to be healed. Now, I'm going to make it really clear. A lot of churches in the world today, that they're only preaching the first point. God will forgive you. I got good news that's even better than that news, that he's not only the God that forgives, he's the God that can heal you. Let me prove it to you real quick. It says in 1 John chapter, chapter 1, verse 9, it says, confess your sins to God and be forgiven. Conf- confess your sins to one another. Uh, I'm sorry, that was James. First John, here it says, uh, <laughs> In there, Lord, help me. In First John, it says that we confess our sins to God; He's faithful and just to to, to forgive It's James five still. Hey, let me look it up. First John, I have it written down. Just in case I had this moment, it says in First John. First John, where are you at? There it is. First John one nine. Had the verse right. Confess, um, confess your sins to God, and you'll be forgiven. He's faithful and just to forgive us of all sins and to cleanse us, thank you for being patient with me, from all unrighteousness. John says that if you confess what you did wrong to God, he'll forgive you. Jesus in Luke chapter 9 says, how do you pray? Pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Forgive us this day. our Forgive us as we forgive all those who sin against us. I believe that forgiveness occurs when we ask God, through confession, to forgive us. But you can be forgiven and not healed. James chapter 5, here we go, verse 16, it says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I was a forgiven Christian the first five years of my walk with God, but I wasn't a healed Christian. And it's because I never brought a human being into my struggle, into my fight. Confession is like chemotherapy to your soul. Sin is like vampires, it can't live in the light. And every time I had a low moment, I'll be honest, I'm not perfect, I've struggled in different areas of my life, but I can honestly tell you that I have no low moments in my life that are not accounted for, not only with God that I'm forgiven, but with my wife and with my accountability partner that I said, hey, I've been struggling in this area, would you pray for me in this area? I'm tempted in this area worst things people do is they say I'm not down always struggle with your spouse one of the worst things people do is they say I'm not going to tell my wife about it I'm not going to tell my husband about it that is that is the worst thing you can do because they are part of the grace that God's going to use to liberate you in your journey I promise you today I'm not lying to you that God will set you free if you're willing to crawl through the sewage outside of the prison walls and suck clean oxygen it is no fun to tell your spouse what you're struggling with, but I promise you that, that your husband, your wife, whoever it is, they will not love you less, that there's something about vulnerability that creates a deeper level of love. I feel the Holy Spirit's presence in this room. Some of you never heard a message this radical. Someone never been in an environment this real. And I'm telling you right now that if you'll let God right now come into your life, he's not going to just forgive you of your mistakes. You've been living forgiven for a long time, but you keep going back to it. You know what it's like? A bee stinging you and injecting venom in you. The bee dies, you're forgiven. Forgive me, God, the bee's dead. But the stinger is still in your arm injecting venom. You're not healed yet. God doesn't want to just kill the sin. He wants to release the venom. Would you stand to your feet? I'm finished. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.